Hello? Barrister, I just received a warrant of arrest for my vessel and many court documents. What should I do? Welcome to FC Pod, the podcast where legal professionals discuss matters regarding international transportation, corporate and commercial law, trade matters, and much more. It is brought to you by Foundation Chambers, the preferred provider of legal services in international transportation and energy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered as legal advice on any subject matter. Ladies and gentlemen, you're in for a great time. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever in the world you're listening from. I'm sure one of these greetings would suffice. Welcome to another episode of FC Pods. As usual, we thank you for your feedback, your likes, your shares, your comments, all of it. In the last episode, we spoke with Adedamola Kikewo on conflict in the Admiralty jurisdiction of the Federal High Court. On this episode, we'll be talking with Juliana Okeke, a counsel in the Aviation, Multimodalism and Corporate Practice Group of the firm Foundation Chambers. Don't go anywhere, we'll be right back. Hi Juliana, welcome to FC Pods. Hi Miriam, thank you for having me. I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you acceded my request. <laughs> How are you feeling today? Tell me, honest truth. I'm actually very un- anxious because it's actually my first time of mm-hmm. being on a podcast, but I really hope it's going to end well. I'm pretty sure it's going to end well. I think that you're so prepared for the podcast and I think you're going to do fantastic. I, I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so introduce yourself. Tell me some more about Juliana. Okay. Just like you've already said, my name is Juliana Marokeke. I went to University of Nigeria in Soka. I graduated in 2016. I was called to Nigerian Bar in 2017 and I joined the firm in 2020. And I should be over three years, over three years in the firm. And just like you said, I'm in the aviation multimodalism and corporate practice group of the firm. So basically what we do is that we review contracts, different kinds of contracts for our clients. We interface with them with respect to regulators that regulate or that supervise the industries that they operate in. Some of them that we are their company secretary, we also ensure that they comply with the provisions of Companies Analyzed Matters Act. We also ensure that every other regulation that regulates companies or that regulate the activities of companies that they adhere to it. Whenever there is an issue with respect to a dispute that arises that warrants us to go to court, we also represent them in court. So that's basically what I do. Sounds fantastic. Okay. I love that. Juliana, when you're not working, what are you doing? Because <laughs> I, mean, I, I said, Juliana, introduce yourself. And you spend like 2,000 hours telling me all the great stuff you work on, which honestly, I think is fantastic. But tell me, tell me if you're not working, when you're not working, because I know you're working almost every time. <laughs> not really, not really. Okay, okay. When you're so not working, when what I'm are you not working, I, mm-hmm. I watch movies actually okay. and I read a lot. All right, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Okay, before we delve into the podcast, let's start off with something interesting. You know, something, you know, policy, economics, and well, largely political as well, right? So, on the 29th of May 2023, the newly elected president of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, in his inaugural speech, President Bola Ahmed Tinubu, said that Nigeria's fuel subsidy would be scrapped. Now, 
This decision has resulted in a significant review of the pump price of petrol, you know, from about 189 naira per liter to about 480 to some 570 naira per liter. What are your thoughts on this? I think that there are two broad schools of thoughts. Mm-hmm. So the first school of thought says, you know what, let's suffer today and enjoy tomorrow. Let's suffer, suffer today. Enjoyment is in heaven. You know, they consider the long-term benefits of the removal of subsidy. And they say, you know what, it's going to be worth it in the long term. Meanwhile, another school of thought, they say the let the poor breathe. You know, they say federal government, you have your hands on our neck and you're choking the oxygen left. You know, essentially that um, the removal of fuel subsidy would result or is going to result and is resulting into too much hardship and it should be left. So all this long story to literally ask you, what are your thoughts on the removal of fuel subsidy in Nigeria? Okay, I think to me personally, I really think that it's a good thing. I just that I just feel like the government should have considered some things. They should have put some things in place before removing the subsidy. For instance, they didn't consider what the food inflation is going to be. Mm. They didn't also consider what to be the alternative transport. Right. At least they, we all know that one of the impacts of this uh, removal is the fact that the transportation cost to different places has actually increased. And the cost of basic food, food items, had actually increased. So we, I think that they should have actually considered some things before removing the subsidy. However, since it has been removed, I really hope that the government should actually consider some ways to mitigate the hardship or even to cushion its effect. There is a need for them to reduce the cost of governance. Yeah. We know that the cost of governance is on the high side. Yeah, good. Then also there is also a need for them to reduce the salaries. The entitlements, the allowances that especially Juliana police school office saying, take take it all away. He said take it. I said furniture allowance scrapped, <laughs> holiday allowance no, scrapped. Yes, there is a need for them to do that. Scrapped. Everybody should know that if you are coming into politics or yeah. if you're coming into uh, if you're coming to serve mm-hmm. you should know it's actually it's actually an act of service yeah as opposed to an act of enrichment yes, yes it's, <laughs> it shouldn't be it shouldn't be so yeah. and when you check the budget that, that they release every year you discover that our as well the national assembly the kind of money that that is that's allotted to them is really too much there's mm-hmm. a need for them to reduce it okay. just like the president said there's a need for them to channel it towards developing the economy there's a need for them to create job opportunities that there's a need for them to build infrastructures because you now it's about removing the money let's ensure that the money is utilized in doing That's something right. that will be beneficial to everyone mm-hmm. uh, anyway i'm actually very optimistic okay. that the government knows what it is doing yeah and i in no distant time i believe and i hope that they are going to put policies in place yeah. they're going to put things in place that will help in reducing the hardship we are yeah. all facing at this point in time I think that's a really brilliant conclusion you've come to just being optimistic and keeping hope alive. Ladies and gentlemen, while fuel subsidy in Nigeria may have been removed, there is one thing that is not going anywhere anytime soon in the maritime industry. It is the bill of lading. So sit tight, grab your popcorn and maybe grab a pen and paper because we are about to delve into the topic of bill of lading. On to the cost of today's conversation. Today we'll be talking about bills of lading in the maritime industry. So just to give a background, because Juliana is our is our main guest here and she'll be giving everyone, you know, the main juice. She'll be really just sharing um, as much information and legal knowledge on this topic. But a background to begin with, right? So say for example, you're traveling from Lagos to London 
you need a flight ticket, right? Um, an agreement between you and your chosen airline to transport you from one destination to another. And this serves as your evidence of contract of carriage with that airline, right? And I believe that the same logic applies in maritime law with, you know, shipment of cargo, for example. Only that it is called a bill of lading instead of a flight ticket. Juliana, tell us, what is a bill of lading and how does it apply in the maritime sector? Okay, bill of lading is actually one of the best topics or issues I like discussing with respect mm-hmm. to maritime industry because every or most of the transactions as every contract of carriage or every contract of affreightment is actually governed by a bill of lading. Yeah. So and bill of lading simply is actually a document that sets out in detail the cargo that is placed on, on body that's that is placed on a vessel yeah. and it also states the port of loading and states where the, the shipment is going to be delivered and to the consignee is going to be delivered and in the case where there is a chain transaction that's mm. where the consignee is enabled or even the shipper is enabled to to transfer to freely transfer the property and the goods to a third party then mm-hmm. it can actually be issued to an industry right. so basically just to tell you that this is the quantity of goods these are the parties to the, the this transaction mm-hmm. this is the port that is going to be that is that the port of loading and this is where it's going to be discharged so essentially from how you've explained it um a bill of lading the contract of carriage or it's an it's evidence of a contract of carriage yeah it can be evidence it can be the okay. contract of carriage itself right right okay so what are the prominent features um are there of the bill of lading we actually have three main features one of them is the fact that a bill of lading can actually be a contract of carriage or it can be an evidence of a contract of carriage it can actually serve as an evidence of receipt of goods that's the cargo on board the vessel mm-hmm. it can also serve as a document of title first of all if it's a contract of carriage it simply means that if you are to go to court the bill of lading itself is only evidence you are to present to show this is the contract governing this transaction you don't have to look for another document to support it or to contradict it that is what you guys are so uh, the parties are solely as are solely going to rely on but where the bill of lading is an evidence of contract of carriage that means that the other documents you have to look at to support your claim or to contradict the claim so that's the thing and for you to say that a bill of lading is evidence of contract of carriage you have to check yourself you have to consider when the contract ended most times is a, is an evidence of contract of carriage where the bill of lading is issued after the contract of carriage as as i concluded then when it comes to it being an evidence of carriage if for instance parties agree orally that you are to deliver so and so to so and so place and we agree that you're not going to there's not going to be any deviation from this point port of loading that there's always maybe they have a route you have to follow and you have to follow it strictly then subsequently parties now issue a bill of lading and let's say the bill of lading now provides that the carrier can actually deviate or follow another route that is not going to suffice it simply means that if you decide to go to court the bill of lading is just an evidence it's not a contract of carriage and in that instance the oral agreement between the parties will override the contents of the bill of lading what about the bill of lading as a document of title okay so basically if you say the bill of lading is a document of title it simply means that once as a consignor or a consignee there you have a constructive title to the goods mm. the property in the goods is actually mm. you have a right to it it simply means it also means that once you have since you have a right to it you can actually endorse it you can actually transfer it to someone else who pays a value for it so essentially um the key feature of the bill of lading and the different ways a bill of lading could be used in the maritime industry is as a contract of 
carriage or evidence of a contract of carriage yes, um as evidence of the receipt of goods yes and um mm. as a document of title yes okay yes. so in the course of your explanations you mentioned different parties okay. you know as parties to the bill of lading right so there's carrier there's a shipper there's a consignee and dossier different parties right um even even leads me to ask what if there's a conflict? I mean, over time at the firm, for example, we have advised shipping lines, advised terminals, consignees, third parties on, you know, different stakeholders on cargo claims, right? On the privity of a contract or the right to suit or the right to even sue. Mm-hmm. Now, the question is, there's a bill of lading, of course, that evidences the different parties and what, what goods have been shipped. Who has the right to suit? You know, mm-hmm. who has the right to sue? And who shall be sued? <laughs> you know, okay. so um, yeah. So how does it tie that to the bill of lading, please? Okay, explain so, to us. So, so basically, just like you said, we have just like every contract, mm-hmm. there are parties to a contract. So for bill of lading, we have three persons on one side, yeah. and one you can say one person and his agent, its agent on one side. So for on 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 the on the other hand, or on one hand, you have the shipper. Mm-hmm. You can also be called the consignor. You okay. have the consignee or an endorsee. There is an industry too. So basically, an industry is someone that maybe the holder of a the consignor mm-hmm. or the holder of a ship of a bill of lading um, endorses or issues the bill of lading to in exchange for value. Okay. So in that instance, a, an industry is now a party to that bill of lading. Then also on the other hand, we now have the carrier who can be the ship owner and also it's his agents. But when it comes to suing, is you have to just like we talk about the parties. These are the parties that can sue the consignee the shipper, the endorsee, that's endorsee that the property in the goods were transferred to in exchange for value that he paid, then also the carrier. Those are the people that can sue in a bill of lading. Okay. So, I mean, if there are people that can sue, I'm certain that there are people that cannot sue. (laughs) (laughs) Who are the parties that cannot sue, that do not have standing before the court? I said declaring agents because most times whenever goods are conveyed into, mm-hmm. for instance, Nigeria, yeah. the consignees usually contract or retain the services of clearing agents to help them to clear it. Okay. So the fact that you are going to clear the goods does not mean that you have the right to sue. Right. You don't have any right to sue. So as a, as a clearing agent, yours is to clear. And if anything happens or whatever is the consignee that is going to sue, that's the principal you are mm-hmm. because you're acting as agent of someone. Okay. So that will sue. Then also a notified party can yeah. also tell us who a notified party is. Anyway, you just dropped it. A notified party. Who is a notified party? Okay, so tell basically, us. a notified party. Which if you if you look, if you bring a bill of lading, you can actually download it. Mm-hmm. When you look at it, first of all, you see the shipper or the consignor there. You will mm-hmm. see the then you will see a notified party. You also see an endorsee. So notified parties can actually be a bank or um, it can be a consignee. Yeah. Let's say it can actually be a consignee. Let's say a situation whereby a consignee wants to wants to buy goods abroad mm-hmm. but he doesn't have the money. Yeah. now approaches the bank to say, okay, please, I want mm-hmm. to get this from so some mm-hmm. so place and this is the value of it. Can can I get a loan from you and use the goods or yeah. the cargo that will be shipped on his behalf as collateral? In that instance, for the bank to protect itself, the bank will not take it. Since you are, I know, yes, we are, you know, we know you are the owner of mm-hmm. these goods but you have to be the notified party let us be the consignee yeah. that's that is to protect themselves in the situation whereby the consignee that's the notified party now yeah. that's the owner of the goods but mm-hmm. he doesn't have money yeah if he's not able to pay them they can actually say they have the, they will have the right to maybe clear the goods mm-hmm. and sell it so basically a notified party can actually be the owner of the goods yeah. but he doesn't have the money 
to buy it or to purchase the goods, it will not involve a, a, a bank. The bank cannot okay, we have to be the consignee, then you'll be the notified person. They have different arrangements. Mm-hmm. But whenever that happens and let's say there is a dispute, it will be easy for the bank to approach the court to yeah i think i think i think you break it down really well okay. and the court emphasized that in the case of um dancing sisters yes i believe yes you know established that not five party cannot to assert any rights in the bill of lady okay so they established that a notified party and occurring agents do not have standing to sue yes but what about a situation right where see in the cause of like of moving the goods um say a an agent of the shipper or like you know a staff or an employee is still door something happens to the goods right and inflicts some sort of like damage or destruction or impacts the goods somehow who's responsible who takes you know who takes liability in that sense Okay, so basically what you have to do as um, in this instance is for you to look at the terms and conditions of the bill of lading. Right. It's usually at the reverse side of the bill of lading. So uh, you have to check the clauses there. One of the clauses that uh, most uh, shipping lines insert in their bill of lading is Himalaya clause. Mm-hmm. So basically the clause is there to absolve the agents of the carrier. So in a situation whereby, for instance, um, a stevedore in trying to help in discharging the cargo from mm-hmm. um, the vessel, damages does those was there was an act or mission that led to damage yeah. to the cargo. And as a consignee or as the owner of the, the, the cargo, I decide to sue. I will have to so and the the bill of lading that I have has that clause. I cannot sue the the Stevie donor because the normally what the Himalaya clause says is to absorb them. So it yeah. simply says that a situation whereby I'm acting as a stevedore, I'm acting in, pos- in in performance of a contract of carriage on behalf of the carrier, yeah. and I I do I, I commit any act that uh, maybe any act on mission on my own side that affects or damages the cargo, mm-hmm. I will be absolved from liability. So you have to sue the carrier. In this right. instance, you cannot sue me as long as that there is a clause, a minor clause, absolving me from liability. Whether I did it or me, the act of mission. Yes, I know the act of mission can actually be my as a result of my own negligence. Or you, you have to sue the carrier. So essentially, the Himalaya clause is a protective clause. Yes, right. Sort of. Yeah, they essentially exempt agents or agents of the shipper yes. from litigation or liability yes. while they're engaged in the course of um, their work for the carrier. Yes. How about a situation where the party doesn't want to sue under the bill of lading? Are there other avenues or alternatives to bring a suit to court okay i think that there are actually other alternatives or other avenues you can sue the carrier there is a you can sue under bailment you can sue under thought of negligence Mm -hmm. and today i'll just be talking about thought of negligence so basically what you had are some certain things you have to prove and once you decide to go under the or to sue under the thought of negligence there will not be any need for you to start proving um, purity of contracts and all. So all you just need to you need just need to prove that at what point in time the damage occurred. You have to establish that. You also have to establish the ownership of the the cargo as at the time the damage occurred. Then the four ingredients of ingredients of a 
of a thought of negligence will have to be proved. You have, you have to establish that. Four, four ingredients. I really like negligence. So <laughs> I'm going to jump in and say the four ingredients of the duty of care. Yes, please. Um, a breach of the duty of care. Yes, please. Causation. Yes, please. And then damages as a result of breach of care. Yes, please. <laughs> All right. That's fantastic. Um, I just have one last, uh, just one last angle that I want us to explore. Um, in the last couple of years, right, the world is moving into a more environmental friendly conscious mindful sustainability type of era right where we're thinking of more sustainable ways to carry out shipping activities being that there's so much going on with climate change electronic bill of lading right um like um an e-version of paperless because again the bill of lading we're referring to literally paper (laughs) you know um, so an electronic bill of lading like a digital version of that walk us through the e-bill of lading what's that about and what are the pros and the cons or the benefits of um, an electronic bill of lading and what challenges lay ahead for us electronic bill of lading is simply a digital version of the paper bill of lading Mm -hmm. the only difference is that once Okay, once parties have agreed to the terms that will govern the transaction, the electronic bill of lading will be generated. The only difference is that instead of uh, passing paper, normally, you know, the, the paper bill of lading that we know is, is always comes in three sets. Yeah. So the shipper will have one, the carrier will have one, then the consignee will have one. So the, because so that anybody and people that are in custody of those. Um, the counterparts will be able to clear the container they have uh, like a right to those uh, the, the cargo but in this instance once parties have, parties have agreed to the terms that will govern the transaction the bill of lading will be, will be generated the only difference is that instead of passing it to them they will now have access to it it's going to be online they will have access to it using a secure online portal that's just the difference between it and the paper bill of lading and this below it has advantages also has disadvantages one of the advantages of electronic bill of lading is that it is easier and you can easily generate it and also it's also easy for you to distribute it you don't have to start passing like old ones they like the paper one it also helps in tracking the goods and also it helps it with it ensures visibility yeah. so you know exactly where the cargo is and everything you can easily track it mm-hmm. another advantage is the fact that it's security you cannot there will not be a case of you of it being stolen or it has been stolen in transit or for it to be lost in transit another advantage again is it's actually cost effective it's yeah. environmentally friendly in the sense that uh, one of the goals of esg or why esg is there is for us to protect the environment yeah. there will not be any need to use paper yeah which adversely affects trees so that's the thing then for the disadvantages one of them is the fact that since people are already used to paper bill of lading that's i'm talking about the people that work for instance people that work for the shipping lines if you say master of vessel that's for, for the yes master of vessel or even some staff it's going to take a while for them to start learning how to use yes, it yeah. so the learning curve is going they'll have to take time to learn it but i yeah. believe that as humans we are always evolving mm-hmm. and once opportunity presents we just have to adapt to it and learn then another advan- disadvantage is the fact that is the potential security risk uh, the system can be hacked yeah. and that's a very huge disadvantage mm-hmm. then the last but not the least is um, legal obstacles yeah. it has been there that, but it's not every country that is using it for instance Nigeria does not have a legal framework that allows mm. the usage of electronic bill of lading yeah. so there's a need for at least our own country there's a need for Nigeria to ratify, yeah, ratify yes, and, or maybe right make laws mm-hmm. that will enable the usage of electronic bill yeah. of lading 
I think that's profound. You've literally run us through <laughs> Thank you. as briefly and succinctly as Thank possible. Um, I think this has been such an enlightening podcast. You Thank know, we you. have um, spoken about the bill of leading here. I mean, to be fair, we started off with fuel subsidy. <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, we quickly hit the streets of Bill of Lading, talked about the essential features of the Bill of Lading, talked about privity of contract, the right of suit, who can sue and who cannot sue. You know, um, we talked about negligence, the Himalaya clause, and then talked about the electronic Bill of Lading, you know, the um, advantages and disadvantages and potential opportunities, you know, um, in protecting the environment and just and just growing as a nation in our admiralty laws you know are there any last words from our conversation today anything else that we didn't touch on and you're like oh my god i really like this let's you know a little bit here anything okay i i think we've actually we covered l grants but there's one thing i forgot to mention when we were talking about thought of negligence you have to ensure at the point of swing or using on that thought of negligence that you have a legal right to the property that mm-hmm. you have a legal uh, legal uh, property in the goods yeah. or you have a possessive right possessory right in the property mm. so if you don't have any right to the property or to the goods you don't you don't have any right to even sue because that's one of the things you have to establish that at the point of damage mm. you are the owner okay. and also um, um that the damage actually occurred to the goods fantastic thank you so much for your time i mean one last thing at the beginning of the podcast i asked you how you're feeling and you said mariam i feel i feel kind of anxious and nervous how are you feeling now we've come to the end of good. the podcast i feel good <laughs> you do yeah i really i really i really enjoyed myself yeah i'm glad I you did myself. i think you did thank a fantastic you so much job for having me thank you for coming on the podcast juliana i am sure that there's so many gems to take from this conversation be sure to share the podcast with your colleagues your friends your family well, your enemies if you have any <laughs> till we come your way same time next time thank you for listening signing out mariam Dunhapo. thank you for listening to today's episode of fc pod we trust that you learned something got insight into another thing or you loved about a couple of things once again this podcast is brought to you by foundation chambers the preferred provider of legal services in international transportation and energy this podcast is for informational purposes only it should not be considered as legal advice on any subject matter Be sure to share the podcast with your colleagues, your friends, or your family members. To get in touch or ask a question, follow us on Instagram at Foundation Chambers and send us a direct message. You can also reach us via email info at foundationchambers.com. See you same time next time. Have a fantastic month ahead.